We hear psalms like that. And the prayers and the praises that the psalmist offered. And many of us wish that we could pray as they did. And so we study, we learn, and we mimic. But what we've learned as we've taken a look at the psalms is that more important than the words and the phrases and the styles and the genres is the relationship. The reason the psalmists could pray as they prayed was because of how they viewed God. And they had a relationship with that God. And we talked about Him about a month ago. And God who is the Creator and who is the King, who is the Judge, who is the Source, who is near, who listens, and above all, who loves, and whose steadfast love endures forever. But when we talk about that relationship, we recognize that there's another side to it. God's not the only one involved in that relationship. There's also us. And if we want to pray as the psalmist prayed, if we really want to look into what they did and be able to, to connect to God as they connected to God, it's not just about seeing God as they saw Him, but, but seeing ourselves as the psalmist saw themselves. Now, that's what I want to talk about today. You know, it is really easy for us to misperceive ourselves. It's really easy for us to think differently of ourselves than is real, but the psalmist lay it out coldly and plainly, sometimes saying things that we really don't want to come to grips with. But the psalmist really express who and what we are in our relationship with God. And if we can see ourselves as they did, then praying to God, coming to His presence, casting our cares upon Him, laying our confessions out before Him, praising Him and honoring Him, it won't be something to check off our to-do list. It won't be our homework. It'll be something that just happens naturally. Because when we see ourselves as they did, the question will be, how could we not pray? That's what I want us to take a look at this morning. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, you are indeed the awesome creator. You are our king. You are our judge. You are the source. You've given us life and blessing and every good thing. Father, you are the sovereign ruler of the universe. You are the great and awesome God. And we know that you love us. And we thank you for that. We pray that you strengthen us to love you in return. Help us to see ourselves as we are so that we can cast ourselves upon your mercy, upon your strength and your power. Help us to realize how dependent we are. God, we can do nothing without you. We love you and we praise your name. And we ask that you would be with us and lift us up. Give us the strength to face today. Help us to overcome the tempter today. Help us to turn away from his traps. Help us to avoid his snares. Strengthen us that we might show the actions of love to one another and to this world, that we might shine your light to all those around us so that they might learn that they can also have freedom from sin in you and your Son. Father, help us today that what we do as we gather here will be in accordance with your will. Help us that everything we do will glorify and honor you because it's to your name that glory is due, not ours. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. Well, I know some of you are worried because when we did the lesson on God, there were ten things that we had to learn. Today, there's only three. So it won't, won't be quite as extensive. However, it's three very important things. Actually, we could spend a lot of time looking at a lot of different aspects about who and what we are. But 
quite a few of them are summed up in just this idea that we are sheep in need of a shepherd. Just moments ago, we sang, The Lord is my shepherd. From Psalm 23. Let's read that again. Psalm 23. Psalm 23, the Scripture there reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful passage. We all love this passage. It fills us with, fills us with comfort and joy. And when we talk about this, we, we talk about how David must have seen it. Being a shepherd who loved his sheep and that wonderful close relationship and, and how beautiful and wonderful it is. But have you ever stopped to think that this passage says that we're sheep? And, and really for us, even though this talks about what a wonderful relationship we have between us and God, I mean, just think about this. Sheep. That's not very complimentary. In fact, when you take a look at sheep, sheep were hopeless and helpless. They were easy and natural prey. They had no natural defenses. They were constantly going astray. Sometimes a sheep might even fall over onto its side and kicking and screaming, not able to even get back up on its feet. It would dig its way into a bush or a bramble to get one little tuft of grass and then get caught there. And start twisting and turning until finally it was exhausted almost to the point of death and just collapsed. Sheep are dirty, helpless. They can't clean themselves. They can't take care of themselves. In fact, left to themselves, they will graze the same plot of land until it's down to the bare nubs. They'll run, they'll walk the same paths until there's dangerous ruts. They'll go to the same streams until they're contaminated and filled with parasites. Left to themselves, sheep will kill themselves. Yes, Psalm 23 is a beautiful picture of our God who loves us and the relationship that we can have with God. But it says something about us. We are sheep. And it says something about us that few of us would really like to grasp and embrace and bring to ourselves and say, oh yes, that's what I am. I'm a sheep in need of a shepherd. Most of us would like to think of ourselves as pretty powerful. I mean, we know we can't do everything. And we all realize that at some point we need God to give us that little bitty extra nudge. But that's not sheep. Sheep don't need an extra nudge. Sheep need absolute care. Sheep are utterly dependent. Without a shepherd, sheep are lost and die. That is exactly where we are. In fact, the psalmist, over and over again, while they have this wonderful picture here of Psalm 23, if you read through the psalms, you'll see over and over again these same kind of themes that say, oh, I'm a sheep. I need a shepherd. In Psalm 70, in verse 5, the psalmist said, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to, me, hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. I'm helpless. Without God, I'm helpless. In Psalm 88 and verse 4, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. We're powerless. 
In Psalm 33, verses 16 through 17, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. We're hopeless. It doesn't matter what we turn to in this world, what we try to have hope in. Without God, we're absolutely hopeless. That's a sheep without the shepherd. In Psalm 42, verses 5 through 6, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? My soul is cast down within me. That is a shepherding term, the idea of being cast down. Remember I told you about that sheep who gets into that little tuft of grass there and just starts to roll over and its center of gravity changes and it rocks over on its side. It can't even get back up on its feet. That's what that word is talking about. It's talking about what happens to us spiritually. That's exactly the kind of thing that we do. Why? Because... We're sheep. In Psalm 141 and verse 8, But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. By ourselves, we're defenseless. We think that we're powerful. We think that we're strong. We think that we can take care of ourselves against the enemy. We think that we could last a while in a fight. On Facebook the other day, I saw somebody put up a little post. One of the little things that you're going to do on there is how long could you last in a fight with Chuck Norris? You know, that, that kind of thing right there demonstrates the kind of mindset that we have. Oh, I can, you know, I, I'm tough. I can handle it. I can stand up in a fight. Not against our enemy. Against our enemy, we are defenseless. In fact, we're natural prey. Psalm 124, verses 2 through 4 says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed up alive. Swallowed us alive. Excuse me for the typo. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. We're natural prey. Easy prey. By ourselves. Psalm 119, verses 67 and 176. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Oh, we so often like to put on these airs of how wonderfully righteous we are and how we follow the straight and narrow and, and oh, if everybody could just be like us, they would be so great. But when we're honest, the thing that we have to admit is, is really what the norm is, is we've gone astray. And we need the shepherd to lead us and guide us. Because it's not in man to direct his steps. And finally, in Psalm 141, verse 1 and then verses 3 through 4, it says, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacy. When you look at Psalm 141, what the psalmist is saying is, I can't win. God, left to myself, these are all the things that I'm going to do. I'm going to sin with my mouth. I'm going to sin with my hands. I'll sin with my feet. I'll sin with every part of me. This is what I'm going to do if I'm left by myself. Apart from God, I'm going to die. We're sheep. We're sheep in need of a shepherd. Without the shepherd, we're going to kill ourselves. When we can recognize that about ourselves, when we recognize our utter dependence, when we recognize our utter weakness, when we realize what we'll do to ourselves, left to ourselves, how could we do anything but pray? 
There's a great contrast found in Psalm 5. Psalm 5 contrasts the righteous who pray, the ones who have that relationship with God, who understand their need and their humility, versus those who are wicked. And by the way, the wicked here are not just those who who do awful, terrible, wicked, evil things that we like to say. You know, when we think about the wicked, we usually think about those who are at least worse than us. But I want you to notice as we go through the psalm how the wicked are described here and how easily that could be us if we don't realize that we're sheep in need of a shepherd. Verses 1 through 3, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Here is the righteous and the holy. The sheep, understanding that he needs a shepherd, he says, you're my God, you're my king. You're the one who's going to rule. I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to listen to you. In fact, I realize that I have no right to come before your presence. That's why I'm offering a sacrifice. That was the psalmist who was right with God, realizing he needed a shepherd. But verse 4 changes to him. For you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors bloodthirsty and deceitful men. Here are those who don't realize how much they need the shepherd. And yes, they're evil, and yes, they're wicked. They're bloodthirsty, but they lie and they boast. You, you catch that idea of the boasting? How easy it is for us to boast about ourselves and think that we've got things under control and and that, sure, we need God a little bit, but really not that much. We're going to handle things on our own and then just when we finally hit the end of our rope, then we'll toss things over to God. Boasting and lying. But verse 7 and 8 says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. Not I through my power and I through my strength. Not I through my control and all the wonderful things I've done. But I through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. See that shepherding idea? Lead me. I can't boast. I can't lie. I can't act as if I'm the one who's in control. I can't act as if I'm the one who's going to get me into the house of God. God, I need you to lead me. And I need you to make your way straight before me. Because it's through your love that I'll enter your house. But back to the wicked. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. The key statement in that I want you to notice is let them fall by their own counsels. What was the root issue that caused them to be the wicked? They weren't the wicked because they had committed amazing, utter tragedies and travesties worse than anything we might think of. They were wicked because they followed their own counsels. You see that? Instead of allowing God to be their shepherd and just submitting to Him and doing things His way, they followed their own counsels. And because of that, they committed transgressions. Who knows how far those transgressions went? The thing in this psalm we need to understand is not that people are wicked because they've done all these amazingly bad things, but rather this is how God sees us when we're wicked. 
This is how God sees us when we are following our own counsel. When we don't realize how much we need a shepherd. When we don't realize how much we need a king. When we don't realize how much we need God. And instead are pursuing what we think is good. Doing things our way because it will make us happy or satisfied or content, we think. When that's what we're doing, this is how God sees us. Bloodthirsty, deceitful, rebellious. And we will fall because of our own counsels. But verse 11 says, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. When we submit to God and realize that we are sheep in need of a shepherd, that we are those who need leadership, that we need guidance, that we need guardianship, that we need protection, that apart from God we're going to die and we're going to fail and we're going to fall, when we grasp that, when we see our utter weakness, prayer won't be hard. Prayer won't be a checklist. Prayer will be the natural response that we have to the shepherd who has said, I love you and I'll care for you. I'll be there for you. I'll protect you. God is that shepherd. And when we realize that we're sheep, that's when Psalm 23 can really be beautiful for us. Because then we'll be able to say, I won't want. My shepherd takes care of me. But as long as we're trying to be more than sheep, as long as we're trying to kind of be the shepherd, that won't ever happen. We're sheep in need of a shepherd. But secondly, we're sinners in need of mercy. The psalmist understood this. Look in Psalm 38. In Psalm 38... And verse 18, the psalmist said, I confess my iniquity, I am sorry for my sin. But what we need to recognize for the psalmist is that sin was not just something he did now and then. When he looked at sin, and he looked at his own sins, it wasn't just, yeah, I've messed up some now and then. Look back in verses 3 and 4. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. When the psalmist saw the picture of sin, he didn't see most purity with a little bit of spots going around. He saw his sin as a flood that had overwhelmed him. He was going to drown in the midst of his own sin. Because of that, he needed God's mercy. We need to see our sin that way. We need to recognize that because we're weak, because we're sheep, our sins will kill us. Our sins will destroy us. They go over our head. There's no doubt that Paul, when he wanted to learn about how we are sinners, he went to the Psalms. Look in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we often read verse 23 that very simply says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But all of that is based on what he says from verse 10 down to verse 18. 
in those verses, he quotes six different passages. And five of the six are from the Psalms. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's from Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. That's from Psalm 5 and verse 9. The venom of asps is under their lips. That's from Psalm 140 and verse 3. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. That is from Psalm 10 and verse 7. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. That's from Isaiah 59 verses 7 through 8. The one quote, not from the Psalms. But there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's from Psalm 36 and verse 1. Five of these six statements Paul took from the Psalms as he wanted us to understand that we are sinners. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And the psalmist understood that. The psalmist recognized that they needed something to forgive them of their sins. They needed something to take that away. Left to themselves, they were just going to die in their sins. Their sins swelled up above their head like floodwaters in which they would drown. They need mercy. We need mercy. The psalmist recognized that at times the reason for their suffering was their own sins. There in Psalm 38, where we read just moments ago, in Psalm 38, read verses 3 and 4 again. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. This psalmist understood that the peril that he was facing was because of his sin. And yet he still asked for mercy. He still comes to God. But understand this, he doesn't come to God as if, God, would you just wipe this away? But he comes to God penitently, seeking forgiveness. Again, in verse 18, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sins. But he goes on in verse 19, but my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. Many are those who hate me. Here he's telling God, here's what's going on. Please take this away. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm penitent. Please remove your wrath and anger from me, and that's okay. But what the psalmist understood from Psalm 66 and verse 18, they couldn't pray these prayers. They couldn't go to God just admitting how sinful they were if they wanted to hang on to those sins. Psalm 66 and verse 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It's one thing to admit that my sins rise above my head and I'm in need of a Savior. It's another thing to say, but you know, I think I'm just going to stay here in the water. I'm just going to go ahead and continue on. They understood that they needed to be penitent. But there's one part of this that I know that I rebel against, and I fear that most of us will rebel against. The psalmist, when we look at the things that they said, when they considered their own sinfulness, their response to that was that apart from God, they couldn't overcome. Now, understand what I'm saying here. They didn't just say, apart from God, I can't be forgiven. We all say that. They said apart from God, they couldn't quit sin. Apart from God, they wouldn't do right. Apart from God, they wouldn't follow the right path. God needed to lead the way. God needed to make the way straight and easy. God needed to protect them. God needed to help them. And I'm not sure that we sometimes like that. We like to think, well, yeah, I need God for forgiveness, but I'll be strong enough to overcome. But that's not the way the psalmist saw it. Consider some of these passages. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, 
will enter your house. I'll bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. How are they going to enter the house of the Lord? Again, not because of their own strength, but because of God's love. Apart from God's love, they're not going to enter the house. But in addition to that, make your way straight before me. You see what he's asking? He's saying, God, make it easy for me. I can't do this. I need you to make it easy for me or I'm not going to overcome. In Psalm 25, verses 4 through 5, make me to know your ways. Notice, see, you know, what I like to say is help me. Help me know your ways. But that's not what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, make me know your ways. Oh, Lord, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. God, apart from you, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to overcome. I'm not going to even know what's right apart from you. Psalm 26, verse 11 through 12, But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. Now, right there, just hearing that verse, we think, oh, okay, there it is. See, that's me. In my integrity, I walk. That's the guy I am. But notice, why is he able to do this? Because my foot stands on level ground. Well, Psalm 143, verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. How do I get to be on level ground? Not because of my integrity. And by the way, did you notice? Gracious. The use of the term grace is the idea of God's strength and mercy thrown out on us. Why was he able to walk in his integrity? Because God was going to be gracious to him, leading him on level ground. Apart from God's leadership, they weren't going to overcome. In Psalm 39, 1 and 2, I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. Here's what we say. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be strong. I'll make sure not to ever sin again. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. Here when the psalmist said, I will do it, I will be strong, I will accomplish this, said it was to no avail. And my distress grew. And so later in the psalm, in verse 8, he says, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Despite his commitment, despite his saying, "This is what, I, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to do all this, he still had to come around and say, Deliver me from my transgressions. Psalm 141, verse 3 through 10. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You read this verse moments ago. Do not let my heart incline to evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. You know what the psalmist is saying? Moments ago we recognized the psalmist saying that he's a sheep in need of a shepherd. Left to himself, he's going to die. What the psalmist is saying is, I can't do it. God, you do whatever it takes to help me be righteous, to make me righteous, to make me know your ways, to make me live by your ways. Set a guard over my mouth if you have to. Don't let me be in the company of the evil. If it takes... If you have to have the righteous smite me, do whatever it takes. That would be a kindness, God. If you have the righteous rebuke and smite me so that I can maintain holiness and purity. But what he's saying is, I can't do this, God. You're going to have to do it. And we don't like this. We don't like this idea that somehow we can't overcome sin apart from someone else acting in our lives. We like the idea of telling ourselves and everyone else we just need to be stronger. 
But that's not what the psalmist said. The psalmist didn't say, you just need to be stronger. The psalmist said, you just need to rely on God. And the reason we struggle with this is because we fear that it teaches the tenets of Calvinism that say unconditional election, that we don't have to do anything, that say irresistible grace, that we'll only do it if God brings us grace. But that's not at all. See, Calvinism teaches that the righteous are righteous only because God chose them to be righteous. And the unrighteous are not righteous because God did not choose them. But we know that the psalmist says in Psalm 110 and verse 3, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. The psalmists were not Calvinists. The psalmist did not say it was unconditional election. The psalmist did not say it was irresistible grace. The psalmist did not say that we did nothing. The psalmist said, we've got to choose to rely on God. The psalmist said, we've got to choose to surrender ourselves to God. Otherwise, we won't win. And we find these same thoughts in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, but I specifically want you to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do you see both sides of it in this passage? What does he say? He says, you've got to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. This is not, and the psalmist didn't have this idea that we just sat on our thumbs until God just took over and ran us around like puppets. But why can we do this? Why can we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Because it is God who is at work in us. If Paul was just going to say, y'all try really hard, there was just going to be failure. The only reason the people could work at it is because they knew God was working with them. They understood that. This reminds me of the the ancient mantra or adage that I've heard attributed to Augustine of Hippo. And even though he said it, it's still pretty good. Without God, I cannot. Without me, God will not. But the problem is, is that so many of us have this idea that we only need God to forgive us. The rest of it we'll take care of on our own. And it just doesn't work that way. The psalmist understood if they were going to overcome sin, it was going to be because God strengthened them. It was going to be because they waited on the Lord. It was going to be because they had surrendered themselves to God, because God gave them the strength, because they couldn't overcome sin. They couldn't be victorious over sin apart from God working in their lives. We're so afraid to say that because we're afraid that means we're charismatic and Pentecostal. But that's what the psalmist said. That's not charismatic. That's not Pentecostal. That's biblical. That's recognizing that we're sheep in need of a shepherd. That's recognizing that we're sinners in need of mercy. That's where we need to be. Now these two points basically sum up the the big picture idea of what the psalmist saw about themselves. But there was one other point. And this is really almost kind of a side point, but it's something that I want to share with you. If you get these first two points, prayer is just going to become natural. When you realize how much you need God because you're a sheep and because you're a sinner, prayer is going to be the way you go. Because you realize, I can't make it through the day facing my enemy apart from prayer, apart from God. There's one other point, and I bring this up simply because I think sometimes we have a misconception. I know I have. I was really shocked by this. I'm not really shocked by these two points. I just don't like them very much. But there was one thing I saw often repeated, and that is that sometimes we are innocent. Sometimes we are, in fact, innocent and undeserving of what's happening. 
the psalmists point this out on repeated occasions. Yes, sometimes the psalmists recognized that they were sinners and because of their sin they were suffering and so they needed God's mercy to take their sin away and to take their suffering away. But sometimes they didn't just say, I'm guilty and need mercy. They said, I'm innocent, I need deliverance. Let me show you a few places. Psalm 7, verses 3 through 5. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Saying, God, if I've done this, then judge me. But I haven't done it. So please take this away from me. Psalm 26, verse 4 through 7. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. Again, in Psalm 26, as he's facing the suffering, he says, God, I don't understand it, because here's, I'm serving you. In Psalm 35. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. They were paying me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or brother. He says, God, my enemies are coming against me. In fact, it's not just my enemies, but it's my friends. And they're doing all these bad things for me. They're laying all these traps. And I just don't deserve this because when they were suffering, I was praying for them. I was trying to help them. I'm innocent. I need deliverance. Psalm 59, verses 3 through 4. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine, they run and make ready. You see, one of the things that we learn from this is that sometimes we're not suffering because of our sins. We're suffering because of someone else's sins. And what the psalmist says is, I'm innocent, God. I didn't do anything. I don't know why they're doing this. I don't know why you're letting them do this. Please deliver me because I'm innocent of this. Psalm 71, upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. He says, even before I was born... By the way, for those of you who have studied issues of Calvinism, you come across Psalm 51, verse 5, where it says, in sin I was conceived. Well, let's take a look at this verse that says, from before I was born, I followed God. I'll let you study on your own which one of those verses is right, how they go together. See, it's not just easy just to pick a verse out and say, oh, this is going to be our doctrine for everything. That's for another lesson, though. But he says, I, I, listen, from my mother's womb, from before my birth, I leaned on you. My praise has been continually of you. Why is this happening to me? Psalm 86 and verse 2, Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servants who trust in you. You are my God. Psalm 109, 4 through 5, In return for my love they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Over and again, the psalmist sometimes says, what This thing that's going on in my life, this misery, this oppression, this trial, this suffering, is not my fault. I'm innocent. I don't know why this is happening to me. Now, I'm not showing this point to you to say that there are some people who are absolutely innocent. There aren't. In fact, we can say along with the psalmist in Psalm 130 and verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? There's no doubt that we've all sinned. The psalmist says that. And so when I'm making this point that sometimes we're innocent, I'm not saying that there are some folks who have never, ever sinned, and so they don't deserve anything. But the reason I bring this point up is because all too often we play the role of Job's friends. 
and somebody starts having trouble, and somebody starts having turmoil, and somebody starts having trial, and they'll say something like, I just don't know why this keeps happening. And we, being the super righteous people that we are, say to them, well, you know, we're all sinners. It's not a question of whether we deserve the wrong. It's, it's the fact that we don't deserve anything good. Maybe there's some truth in that. But I tell you what, the psalmists, while recognizing that everybody's sinned, they also recognize that there are things that happen to us that aren't because of our sins. There are things that happen to us that, that we're innocent based on those things, and we don't deserve those things. And it's okay to tell God that. It's okay to ask God for deliverance and say, God, I haven't done this thing that I'm being accused of. I haven't done this thing that I'm being oppressed for or persecuted for or, or whatever it is that's happening. I don't deserve this, God. Please deliver me. It's okay to say that. I'll be honest with you. I don't know where the line's drawn. One of my big struggles with, with studying the Psalms is I generally like to tie everything up in a neat little package and give it to you to answer all the questions and, and sand down all the rough edges. And When it comes to the Psalms, that, I think that's just impossible. So I don't know where the line is to be drawn there. I just want us to understand this principle. Yes, we've all sinned. If the Lord should mark iniquities, who could stand? Not a single one of us. But at the same time, that doesn't give us the right to look at those who are suffering and think, well, it must be something sinful. There must be some sin going on in their life. Because sometimes things happen to us that we just don't deserve. And we don't have to come up with some theology that tells us, oh yeah, we really do. We really do deserve it. We don't have to do that. We're allowed to go to God and say, God, I don't think I deserve this. As long as we continue to let God be our God. As long as we realize that He is our salvation and He is our deliverer. Because that's what the psalmist did. We're sheep in need of a shepherd. We're sinners in need of mercy. Yes, we don't deserve everything that ever happens to us. And so we can ask for deliverance. If we could grasp this, remembering who God is and seeing us the way the psalmist saw themselves, prayer would be something we just do. It's a growth process. I hope you don't leave here today saying, well, prayer is not something I just do, so I must be getting it all wrong. No, it's a growth process. I don't think the psalmist came out of the womb, got circumcised on the eighth day, and on the ninth day prayed like this. And so I don't think we should have the idea that we're going to get baptized and the day after we'll be just like the psalmist in prayer. I don't think that at all. It's growth. And I hope that what we've learned today helps us grow in our prayers.